We're at $250,000 a month per sales. Profit-wise, it's about $100,000 to $150,000. So yeah, it's over the $1 million mark a year. <laughs> Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independent Show, where today we have on Irvin Aguilar, who scaled his dad's failing landscaping business into a multi-million dollar venture. But before we get into that, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, we had an interesting weekend where we actually went out to Denver to see a concert at Red Rocks, which is just one of the coolest music venues if you've never been. And it was uh, kind of extra interesting because when we got out there, it just happened to be that day that the concert was, was like the snow front moves through. And so we're, luckily we knew that was going to happen. We were super bundled up, but there's definitely a different experience being like 30 degrees and in a snowstorm in the middle of a concert. But the guy who was playing, Zach Bryan, actually has a song called Snow and he performed it at the show. So the crowd was loving that. It was pretty cool. One of the other big things we did while we were in Denver is hit up this big art installation thing that's called Meow Wolf. If you've never heard of it, uh, you should look it up. It's crazy. But yeah, so me, Leslie, and two of my real good friends were, were out there, saw the concert. You ever get a chance to go to Red Rocks, always take that up. And then of course, you know, in and out got all the free food from the lounge like I always do. So that always makes me happy. How about you, Cody? <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything less, Justin. So for me, I actually spent the last four days in Oahu. And it was just amazing. Like the hikes were incredible. The beaches there are just so cool. For those who are like, what is that? It is the island that Honolulu, the capital, is located on. So I am currently staying on the big island, which is the island of Hawaii. I'm staying in Hilo. And we just took a quick little puddle jumper over to Oahu. It was like $50 round trip. It was awesome. And yeah, it was just exploring and hiking and beaching and all the stereotypical things you could think of when it comes to Hawaii. And then the business front, it was actually pretty busy. We just did a big course launch for our Etsy printables course. And that went really, really well. We welcomed a couple hundred new students into the course. And so, you know, with every course launch, there's a ton of work that goes into that. So it was a bit stressful because I'm like hiking and then like trying to check my phone and then getting back to the Airbnb and trying to do all this work and stuff. But it all worked out. That's kind of the struggle of entrepreneurship and setting your own time. But all in all, it was a pretty exciting and busy week for me. But that's enough about us, Justin. Let's talk about our guest for today, Irvin. So Irvin is one of the most humble people I've met when it comes to business. Like you'll hear in the interview, he kind of talks about how you know his dad's business, his dad's landscaping business was failing. His dad didn't really know what to do. And Irvin takes over at a really young age with not too much experience beforehand and starts to just make these really strategic changes. And You'll hear some of the numbers in this episode, but you know the business is making like five thousand dollars a month at that point to now like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month today, which is just incredible. And he's continuing to scale and grow the business. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned whether or not you're in a service-based job, just like any job at all, whether you're looking to grow your skills in a day job or whether you're looking to grow your business. If you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, there's just so many takeaways, so many little things that Irvin does. And he almost makes them sound second nature. But those decisions were what allowed Irvin to scale this business to the heights it is today. It's just incredible to hear his story and what's possible. An episode like this is another reminder of how we oftentimes think we can't do something. You know, We can't run a business. We couldn't be a landlord. But in reality, there's all the time people who are running businesses that aren't doing it in the best way, like they're not running it the most proficiently. And 
in this situation, Irvin saw that in his dad, who was running this business, but just not really proficiently and was able to take some small changes that made a huge difference in the impact. And so that's what really stands out to me is we second guess ourselves and think we can't do something. But there's so many people who are running somewhat successful businesses, even though they're not doing it efficiently. So just imagine if you stepped in and did a couple of those efficiencies, like the marketing that he did and the contracts he was putting together and the type of clients he was going after. Just those small tweaks completely changed the business. And so if you want to find out how you can follow along with Irvin's story and see where he takes his business next, or maybe you know someone who you think would enjoy a story like this, you can find all that information and share the episode at thefyshow.com slash Irvin. That's thefyshow.com slash I-R-V-I-N. Take it away, Irvin. I have 10 uncles. They all do landscaping, which is kind of funny. My dad would take me out on the weekends. So I would obviously go to school. They would take me out, teach me a bit about landscaping because that's a future my dad wanted for me. They'll teach me here and there and every weekend, and I'll earn about 20 to 50 bucks. I started back in middle school when I was like 11 years old. <laughs> Many of her clients started like child abuse, but my dad, he had a go in mind. And yeah, I started doing that on the weekends, all through high school. I would work Friday through Sunday. And my dad, back in the day, he would only do it on the weekends as well because he was a heavy machine operator for about 20 years and landscape was his side business it got to a point where we needed more money to sustain our family and he started doing landscape full-time but since english is not one of his main languages he would struggle a lot doing contracts communicating with clients and we were not getting the results we wanted so as soon as i graduated from high school that's when I stepped in and I kind of took over sales. I used different sources to really operate the company to start getting the results we wanted. And from there, I'll share a bit more on that. But that's pretty much how I started in the landscape business. And when you're like 11 years old and you're going out to these jobs, what was your viewpoint like at that time, at that age? Were you excited? Were you feeling like, hey, I'm making some money, I'm learning some stuff? Or did it feel like you're getting drugged along? Honestly, I felt confused, but I really liked the money side of it because <laughs> I had money to buy snacks, I had money to buy clothes, so I, I was the richest fan of, out of my friend group, so <laughs> that really motivated me to go and work on the weekends. And so you graduate high school and immediately just take over your dad's business. Like, I guess during that whole progression, like from 11 to 17 or 18, did you know like this is going to be my next step after high school? Was college in the cards or did you just you absolutely knew like I'm going to take this landscaping business to the moon that's kind of funny so I graduated high school I wanted to be a police officer and eventually be part of the SWAT team I would do internships for the Denver police here in Colorado I would visit jails all the time like that's what I wanted to do I went to college for two years ended dropping out so I got in trouble so (laughs) I wasn't qualified to be a police officer I was a dumb kid back when I was 17 and 18. At that point, when I said, well, so I don't have another option, I dropped out from college and I just took over the business. So I started doing the labor work again. After that, it got to a point where I'm like, it's so much work, so many hours. We work like 10, 12 hours under the sun and it's heavy work. Like then wheelbarrows are like 300 pounds. I was like 120 pounds right after high school, which is double. I'm like, 
I'm not going to do this. So I started learning the numbers and I started learning how to communicate with clients. And after that, I learned the business aspect of our landscape company. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if you would remember any real specifics, but maybe as close as you can or ballpark. Do you have any idea like how many people were working for this business, how much money it was bringing in? Just kind of like, what was the size of it at that point when you first started joining after going to college and coming back? Yeah, yeah. So at that point, my dad only had like two workers and we were not getting enough money. Like I would say profit-wise per month was about anywhere from five to 10,000, which is not a lot because we were doing like at least 10 projects per month. So the profit wasn't there for the same reason that he wasn't able to communicate properly with clients. He still was learning the numbers because even though he knew how to do the landscape, he didn't know how to give out a quote still. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So there's a lot of people out there, I mean, that listen to our show, my friends, just people in general who are in like service-based businesses, whether they're doing landscaping or they're an electrician or a plumber. And I was hoping maybe you could dive into some of the specifics in like what the company was doing wrong when you joined. You know, we're going to get to that part of the story where you've kind of just like 10x like what's been going on with that landscaping company. But I think a lot of people in other industries who are also in service-based industries can glean a lot of insights off of like how your mind kind of attacked the problems in the business. So like I said, we were not getting the results we wanted. There was a lot of setbacks. One of them was one of our first clients. I think it was the second client my dad had. He took some money from us. And that really like was an eye opener for my dad. He's like, do I really want to do this? Do I go back to the company I was working with? From there, we just started analyzing what we needed to fix. Because we lost a lot of money on that second deal. I was just asking like what parts of the business you're like, okay, this needs to be improved like a lot. (laughs) One of the things that we needed to improve a lot was communication. Also the contract, because we didn't have a contract. We didn't have a paper. My dad, he's Hispanic and they're huge on whatever you say, it's going to be done. But obviously we need a contract when we're dealing with money. That was one of the biggest things. Another thing was marketing. We did not market at all. That's why we were not getting many clients. We were not known. I mean, our work was beautiful, but no one knew about us. That was one of the biggest issues, I think, marketing. And once you got started and actually started making changes, what's the first thing you remember as, a, as far as a change that had a big impact that you're like, whoa, okay, like this makes a real difference? So I work in new builds, so new build homes. And me and my partner, Diego, we started doing door hangers. Because with new build homes, they give you about six to 12 months to finish, to complete your backyard. It's, it's obviously a brand new home but it doesn't come with the backyard. We started doing door hangers just to market our business, just to show clients who we are, the type of services we offered. And we would just drop them off indoors. Before COVID, I still had people knocking on doors, just showing who we are and the services we had to offer. But after COVID, people, you started working at home, which made it really inconvenient for them to always open the door. They would always get upset when we used to uh, door knock. But when we started doing door hangers, that's when we saw the game changer because they don't have an option. Like they need their backyard done. And we're over here offering the different services we have. So they either 
schedule an appointment with us and just listen what we had to offer. Or they would just recommend us with different people. So when you're talking about like getting a backyard done, I'm definitely no landscaping expert. Some people might think like, oh, landscaping, that's just like mowing and weed whacking. But there's a whole lot more to landscaping than that. And there's just like, you know, monumental projects that take months. What are some of the most common types of projects for listeners out there who maybe just aren't as familiar with the business model? That's right. So it's a blank sheet when you buy a brand new home here in Colorado. And I'm pretty sure in any other states, when you buy a new built home, it's a blank sheet. So you usually install anywhere from sod to rock installation mulch. In terms of hardscape, it's usually a concrete patio, a paper patio, retaining walls, depending on the grade. You need an irrigation system. Everything has to be new because you really don't have anything. It's just a, a bunch of dirt you build from the bottom. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that when you first started looking at it, there just there wasn't enough profit going on. Even though you had some jobs, there just wasn't a ton of profit. Then you just mentioned a lot of different type of projects that you could do. Which one of those projects for you has the most profit margin? Okay, so we're specialized in concrete. And we essentially do landscape for fun. <laughs> so I think concrete gives us the most profit and anything in hardscape. So paper patios, retaining walls, fire pits, they get really pricey just because the material is really expensive. But I would say concrete or hardscape gives us the most profit. And in terms of like increasing LTV customer lifetime value, Did you kind of change around maybe some of the marketing tactics? Like you're like, well, you know, if you're building this retaining wall, like you got to have this irrigation system, you got to have this concrete patio. Because I know like I've been upsold in some of that stuff and I'm like, well, yeah, this makes perfect sense. And then, you know, it was kind of a win-win on both sides of the equation. So wondering if any of those, you know, different marketing tactics or like upsell type of things went into the new strategy once you started taking over. Definitely. So most of my clients, they're really specific on what they want. They will ask me for certain things. And based on what they ask me for is if it's either landscape, I'll always recommend to do the landscape and a concrete patio or a concrete sidewalk. When they need landscape, I always throw in the concrete for the same reason. It gives me a lot more profit. Because in these new built homes, you always need some type of pathway, even though you're doing a whole renovation of the backyard. So I'm always throwing in that concrete just to get a bit more profit. And some of those projects sound like something maybe you get done once and that's kind of it. Like you don't need a fire pit added every couple months. But do you have something that you offer that is kind of more like a reoccurring thing? And do you have any customers that you get signed up for a longer term contract where they're kind of signed up for, hey, we're going to come every quarter and do this. So that way you don't have to keep selling, but you've got that same customer who just keeps generating revenue for you. That's right. So we also do have a maintenance crew. We do mowing, which it's the first thing people think about what you mentioned, landscape. We do maintenance on your backyard, which is mowing. Uh, now that fall and winter are around the corner, we do a sprinkler blowout and just simple weeding. That's something that we really focus on giving clients so that they could keep on calling us. And I know you mentioned door hangers. That was kind of like one of your aha moments. Like you started throwing those up. You started getting a ton of calls. People were like, oh, like, what's this all about? I haven't even thought about doing this. And now you're getting all these leads. Were there any other like lead generation tactics or just marketing in general that you tried and that worked? And I guess on the flip side, we can maybe talk about ones that you tried and that failed as well. Yeah, so I tried Google. It didn't work out as much because I was getting clients that had existing backyards. 
and it's a lot harder because you have grown trees with roots. You have to cut the trees. So you work double in existing backyards that are much older than new builds. That really pushed me back a lot because on a new build project, we usually take two to four days to finish. I'm talking about two to 5,000 square feet on average. If I work on a project that there's an existing backyard, same square footage, it will take me about anywhere from five to eight days. Mm. It takes much longer to complete the project. I'm obviously losing on opportunities because on average, I finish about two to three projects per week. Those are for new builds. If I do projects that already have an existing backyard, I'll do one or two per week. So Google really didn't work out. Like I said, the most effective thing was door hangers because homeowners don't have an option. They either finish their backyard in that timeline the HOA gives you or they start getting fees. It seems like to me certain industries just kind of comes with the territory that there's going to be maybe a little bit of negotiation where some industries there's not. It's just the price is what it is. Do you run into that a lot where with these services, it's a lot of back and forth between the person who you're trying to sell to and you have to do some negotiation or do you have like kind of flat rates? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. So right now in Colorado, there's obviously a boom. A marketing boom like there's a bunch of houses being built left and right so there's more companies more landscape companies being built there's some times where i have to negotiate my prices just to get the contract back in the day i would give an estimate i would give a contract out and it was me competing against two or three other companies and in the recent months and then in the past year i mean i had to compete against anywhere from five to 15 contractors which makes it a lot harder to get the actual contract. So sometimes I really do have to negotiate the price. And we do volume. So we do anywhere from 60 to 150 projects a year. So on the long run, I'm getting the profit I want. So I do have to negotiate my prices. So it sounds like you built up like a pretty decent brand reputation in Colorado. Was there anything you specifically did, whether it was like, enticing people to refer you to their friends or getting reviews on Google or getting reviews on some other platform? Were there some strategic things that you did to kind of like build up your brand equity? I usually ask for reviews, but most of my clients are older, so they don't have social media or they're not active on Google, which it makes it really hard on them. I usually just try to make a relationship with my clients, try to connect with them as much as possible. And that has really opened up doors for me because 
for some reason, everyone tells me their problems. I don't know why <laughs> I'm that type of person. I'm just there to listen. I usually try to just make my client's life a bit easier when I'm completing a project or make their mood change. Or I'm just that type of person where I'm just trying to impact the person by smiling or just have bringing in that exciting mood all the time. That really has worked out with me, just creating a relationship with my clients. You talked a little bit earlier about how much the competition keeps increasing. What do you think it is that you're doing that maybe the other landscaping teams aren't doing that kind of sets you apart? Whenever I get a contract, I ask for a zero down payment, which many contractors wouldn't agree with that. But I just want to build trust between me and the client. And I just go off by that zero down payment. You see progress, but I have so much capital saved that we could invest in the material, we could invest in the labor, and I could complete several jobs at a time. But I do that so the client feels a lot comfortable with me because what contractors are doing are they take about 50% or 75% deposit. They either do two, three days of work, and some contractors are really being really unfair, and they take the money, and they just go to the client. That's really unfair for the homeowner, so I had to change it up. So that zero down payment gives the client a lot more confidence on our company. And has that burned you at all, or has it worked out most times? Honestly, it has only backfired once. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so our contracts really help out. I also pre-lean the client's home. So everything's signed, everything's written down. So it makes it really easy on me. That one time it backfired on me and I didn't have much experience. So his name is John. Sorry, John, if you're hearing. <laughs> <laughs> but it really stuck on me. So he had to sell the house because he was going through a divorce with his wife. And in order for him to sell the house, he had to complete his backyard. That was one of the requirements the HOA had for him. A completed backyard. If not, the HOA would not permit for him to sell the house. So I go in there. It's like, dude, I don't have no money. I'm going to sell the house and I'm going to pay you for the landscape you're going to do for me. But I need the landscape to be done in 10 days. If not, I'm not going to be able to sell the house to these new buyers. I go in there. We finish within that timeline. The new buyers are going to close two weeks from now. And I trusted him. He kept me alert of everything that was going on. And two days before the buyers were going to close on the house, he completed it, ghosted me. He stopped replying to calls and text messages. I'm like, probably something happened with his work. I always try to see the good side on people. It's another problem I have. <laughs> Not everyone has that good heart. Yeah, so he completely stopped answering calls and messages. The buyers closed on the house. They didn't know that I had completed the landscape, so they obviously didn't pay me. And John did not alert the new buyers that there was still some unpaid bills on the house. He moved to another state, and he changed his number and everything. So it made it really difficult for me to like go after him because he moved to Washington. So I just took that L, and that's pretty much it. It's been one occasion of out of 300-plus projects. And is that before you added in the language that puts a lien on the house? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I kind of want to jump into the numbers here, and we definitely have an audience who's interested in numbers. I know <laughs> the figures you gave us before, you guys were making like 5 to 10K profits. And this is like right when you took over, right when you dropped out of college. Do you have just like a 
it doesn't have to be exact numbers, but just like loose numbers of like the next couple of years after that, like what did revenue and profits start to look like once you started kind of like smoothing out the operations and the marketing and just working your magic? That's right. So once I stepped in, profits were not the best still, but with the few changes on marketing, contract, the way we communicated with clients, we started seeing from 20 to 50,000 a month. That's when I just started. At the point I'm at right now, we're at $250,000 a month per sales. Profit-wise, it's about 100 to 150000 wow. per month. So, yeah, it's over the $1 million mark a year. <laughs> and during that time, like, what about the headcount? Like, how many people were on the team kind of when you are getting started? And how many more people do you have now? So, during that time when I stepped in, we grew to five employees right now. We have six employees that focus on landscape, hardscape, and the construction of concrete. And I have another six employees that focus on just concrete finishing. So it's a, a total of 12 people. My dad, it's kind of funny. He's a project manager. Many of my clients make fun of me because they're like, you boss around your dad. I'm like, <laughs> well, he wasn't able to make a system that works. So <laughs> I had to step in and <laughs> yeah, I do boss around my dad, but he, he's my best friend. <laughs> I like working with them. Hey, I'm sure he's very appreciative <laughs> of what you've done. You've gone from five to 10 grand a month and you're like, yeah, profits didn't increase too much. It just went from 20 to 50K a month. And now you guys are doing 250K a month in sales. How has pricing changed over that time? Like, has pricing remained the same and you've just been like adding so much volume? Or as you started to establish more brand equity, have you been like solely raising your rates and charging clients more per job? As we established more our name, we started increasing. We charged by the square foot. The first year, everything went up by like a dollar or two. When I stepped in, right now, because the price changed with COVID on materials, we had to go up to like $8 increase per square foot just to get the profit we want and just to pay the materials and the labor. But price didn't go up as much when I stepped in and before COVID. Well, after COVID, that's when we really had to change our numbers just to get the profit we wanted. In any business, you know, you're going to have that target audience for the most part. Like you're not going to try to do work for every single type of house, you know, every size house. It sounds like you're trying to focus on new builds mostly because there's better for you there, more profit, quicker turnaround. That's right. What about the types of houses? Are you trying to focus on only houses that have this size backyard or is there any kind of criteria you're trying to use to qualify if it's a house, a project you should take in the first place? Honestly, I take any new build project. I usually like smaller square footage homes, which are like 900 to like 2,000 square feet. Because we go in there, we finish the project, start to finish in one to two days. Whereas this bigger homes, anywhere from like 5,000 to 8,000 square feet would take like three to five days. The smaller the project, the bigger the profit. <laughs> <laughs> And so I feel like a key part of your growth and this strategy, I mean, if you were a solo dude just doing landscaping, like there's no way you could possibly scale to where you're at now. So hiring the right people, like retaining the right people, training, how does that whole process work? Like, how do you find the right talent for your company? We have a lot of friends. My dad is from Durango, Mexico. He knows a lot of people over there because he's such a sweetheart. He's built a lot of relationships over the years. Most of the people we have working for us our friends of my dad, because it's really hard work. We try to pay them the amount of money they ask for us. 
another thing that has been working out this year is smaller projects that I'm not able to take. My workers usually do them on Sundays. So it works as an incentive for them and they stay more motivated because they get extra money. So that's something that I've been working out. Like kind of thinking about it from the other side of the coin, like the homeowner who's looking to get a job done. Is there certain jobs you'd recommend like, hey, these are ones you should definitely hire someone out, like it's worth the money versus ones that, you know, maybe if you're kind of handy, it's fine to just do yourself. Honestly, I would recommend any landscape job, like landscape installation. You go in there, you install rock, mulch, grass, which is really simple. Like anyone could do it, literally anyone. Like. <laughs> There's not much practice that goes into it. Like if you do it one or two times, you'll get the hang of it. Like this year, we got a few more workers and it only took him about a month for them to get the hang of it. And there's good money for them. Good money and like landscape installation and like anyone could learn it real quick. Hmm. Awesome. Well, before we start talking about real estate a bit, because before we hit record, you were just sharing some insane stats. Is there anything else to add about growing a service-based business like you've done? Like any last things that we maybe missed or didn't talk about when it comes to either marketing or hiring the right people or scaling or pricing or negotiating, anything at all that comes to mind? Because I'm sure that we have listeners out there who they could probably start to implement whatever tips you're sharing in this episode in their business, like in the next couple of weeks. That's right. One main thing I have for like any listener out there, just be confident with your numbers. Because many contractors I have spoke in the past, they usually try to negotiate their numbers or try to break things down to please the client. But just go in there and be confident with the work you have to offer to clients, confident with your numbers. Usually, most recently in the past few months, I've been landing six-figure contracts and they were from 100000 to like 250000 in landscape. It's quite crazy because it's just rock installation, mulch installation, grass, water feature, pavers, or concrete. Even my dad at times is like, you're probably exaggerating in your numbers. But I'm like, no, it's more of the value we have to give out to homeowners. So just be confident with the work you have to offer to them. Be confident on the number. Because if that's what your company is worth, people are going to listen to you and they're going to end up paying for it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think people doing jobs like that, it's oftentimes knowing your worth and being confident to stand behind it and, and not feel like, ah, maybe I was wrong and talking yourself down. So I think that's a great point. But like Cody said, before you hit record, you started mentioning some great progress you've been making outside of just doing the business that you've completely turned around. Now you started moving into real estate. Don't know if you want to kind of tell us a little bit about that. That's right. So landscaping concrete has been working out for me. I started saving some capital because I knew I was in, and I, it's still on my plan. I, I know I'm not going to be doing landscaping concrete for a long time because there's a lot of stress going on, competing with contracts. So I started saving money because real estate is something that I always wanted to do since I was a young kid because I wanted to own rental properties. My dad had like rental properties in Mexico, which really inspired me. I met Cody back in May at a mastermind in, in Vegas. And I had zero experience in real estate. I was just there to get a bit more knowledge on what real estate was, how to start investing on real estate. I connected with some people that were from Colorado. They were already real estate investors. They had a few flips under their belt. 
And they were the only guys from Colorado in that whole mastermind event. And so we quickly connected. I came back to Colorado. They invited me to their office and they really liked the system I had for my landscape and concrete company. They invited me to like look into this real estate business. We went into a flip together. It all worked out. And since then, we have six flips since May. It's quite amazing because I had a serious experience. I just knew the numbers. I had the capital to invest. I had a lot of subcontractors that could do the work. I just went for it. <laughs> Dude, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> you know, you're kind of just like, oh, yeah, you've done a flip a month since May. Like we're recording this in October. That is absolutely insane, but awesome. So how does it work? Like, are you just contributing capital? Or is your team like the ones finishing backyards and stuff like that? Or like, how do you kind of fit into the equation with the flips? So I'm doing a, a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm contributing capital. My teams are doing the landscape portion of it. Over that period of time since I met you, Cody, until now, I was able to build a remodeling team because my dad has a lot of friends, like I mentioned. He knows painters, framers, everything. So I was able to build a team, which made it a lot more easy. And these guys, they were getting a lot of deals per month, like 10 to 15 deals that we could take up. We just needed the capital and a team that was able to perform and do the remodeling. So quickly, with the connections we had, I was able to build a team and just start remodeling all these homes that needed some upgrades. And could you talk us through a little bit of what some of these deals look like, the type of house that you're getting into, maybe how much you're having to invest, the, the turnaround time, just any of the details with the deals? So our market here in Colorado is quite crazy. Homes range anywhere from 450000 to 750000 Most of these homes need anywhere from sixty to 120000 in renovation. We try to focus on profits of 60000 and up. If it's not 60000 and up, we don't get profit because it's three of us. So yeah, the turnaround on most of these homes is anywhere from three to six months. But we've been lucky enough where we're doing a subject two on homes where we actually got one here before this interview. So we negotiated with the client where she keeps her mortgage. We come in with, we're going to need about 120000 to renovate her home. We bought it at 635, 120000 to renovate. And we're going to sell anywhere from 850000 to 890000 But since we have several teams remodeling, because I have my own team and my business partners have two separate other teams, which makes the renovation a lot quicker. So the timeline on those are anywhere from two to four months. But the deals, I worked with them from May to October, where the turnarounds were anywhere from one to two months, which made it really easy for me. And the profit was a lot quicker. Hmm. I think when we talked last time, Irvin, when we met at the Future Flipper Mastermind, I think you mentioned Airbnb, if I'm not mistaken. Is that still part of the game plan? That's right. So that Airbnb we talked about, we're launching it next month. We did a complete remodel on it just to attract more people to it. So we completely renovated the whole interior, brand new roof, and we added a couple of things, amenities, so people would rent it out a bit more. We added a jacuzzi and outdoor kitchen. We're launching it next month. And I know this one might be a tough one because you, know, you didn't have to do this, but your dad had so many connections. You're finding all these people. Do you have any recommendations for someone who's wanting to get something started, whether it be getting into flipping or some help renovating an Airbnb, 
just like how to source people who are skilled, but are also not, you know, charging insane amounts so that there is some room for profit. That's right. It makes it really easy on my part because I'm Hispanic. I'm Mexican myself. And in my experience, we do a lot of good work uh, as Mexicans. Our labor price is really cheap. So I try to look for the Hispanic community. If you want good work and if you want a reasonable price for you to get more profit, that's a recommendation I would have. And a challenge people would have is just learning Spanish. But you need just the basics on what you need to start the project and the things you will need throughout the process. But just focus on the Hispanic community because personally, on my experience, we do really good work. The prices are really cheap at times. Sounds like I'll keep up with my Duolingo. I'm on a 350-day right. <laughs> streak. <laughs> so what's kind of next for you, Irvin? So you have the landscaping business going on. You started this flipping business. You're going into Airbnbs. I know you mentioned you wanted to get out of the landscaping business at some point because it's just a lot of stress. Like you're negotiating contracts. You're competing against other companies. What do you kind of see in the next couple of years? Like you're going to go all into real estate. You're going to continue to grow the landscaping business. What are your plans for the next three to five years? That's right. So in the next three to five years, I'm planning on just focusing on real estate. I don't know if I mentioned it. I host a landscape contract as well. Oh, so, no, that's cool. <laughs> Can we touch on that real quick? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it's a crew of 12. We can't take all the contracts I get. So what I'm doing, since I already have 10 uncles and people that I know that do landscape, is I'm wholesaling this contract landscape projects. And I just take a profit from whatever I sell to them. And I'm obviously not selling to like any random person because it's still my brand. It's still my name out there. They work under me. I give them the project and I get a, a profit from a split from the profit they get. So whatever contract I get and I'm not able to do between the April through November timeline, I just give it to someone else. They do the work, I get a profit and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and you've talked about like some of your systems and things like that before. If you're doing that, if you're subcontracting out to one of these other groups, like you said, they're kind of still under your umbrella in a way, like under your brand. Are they having to do anything different than they would normally do? Like, is there any kind of agreement like, hey, we got to do things this way if you're going to take a contract from me? That's right. Well, the funny thing about me is that everything's in-house. The only thing I really still contract is the gasoline installation. That's pretty much it. But whenever I take a handout, a project to another contractor, it's still my rules. They're working under my name. It's really easy to negotiate with them because they're my friends, they're my family members. And it's worked out in the past so much that they're comfortable working under the conditions that set for them. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, we are rounding out the episode here. We're just about finishing up. Where are some of the best places where people can follow along, stay in touch? I'm sure we're going to have a ton of people who are going to have a lot of awesome takeaways. I just want to really appreciate that and hoping they can have a place to send them to. You guys could follow me on Instagram or Facebook where you could find us under AGR Landscape and Construction. Like I said, we're not that big in Instagram because many of my clients are older. They don't know what Instagram or Facebook is. I haven't been active as, as much because it's been such a crazy year, but you could find us there. I'll also give you the link to our website. Whoever's interested in learning about landscape or has any, any type of questions on whatever this landscape of business is, you could contact me through there. 
Well, Irvin, thank you so much for giving us some time today. I mean, it's an incredible story and it's awesome to hear how humble you are and also just like how you not only changed your life, but you changed your family's life. So it's very commendable. I appreciate you giving us the time today and I'm excited for the listeners to get to hear your story. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me in the podcast. It's my first time in a podcast, which is kind of nerve-wracking, but thank you a lot, Cody. Thank you, Justin. Hopefully, I'm able to motivate some people out there. Just keep on pushing, keep on working hard. And if you guys have a vision clear, you, you'll be able to make it. I'm first generation in my family. My parents are really proud of me. <laughs> there are immigrants in this country, which made it really hard for them. And I just had to step in. I had to step in and change everything for my family and create generational wealth. Well, you're a true inspiration, man, and really appreciate having you on. Thank you. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And also, don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.